Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of So I'm Married a Horror Fan. This is episode number 80 and I am one of your hosts, Simon. And I'm Lee. And we have reached the end of June. Woo! It's the motherfucking end of June. Whoop whoop. Yeah. Mate, I wish we'd recorded this episode a couple of days earlier. I am tired today. So I do apologise if... Uh, I trail off. If you can hear me snoring, I've uh, <laughs> fallen asleep. Had a hectic week. Um, it's been fun though. It's been nice. Uh, we are doing our last episode for June today, episode number eighty, uh, which is about the glorious two thousand and nine succubus high school comedy horror, uh, Jennifer's Body. Jennifer's Body. I have been wanting to talk mm-hmm. about this movie for a long time. Um, long-time listeners, first-time callers will know that I have uh, a soft spot for this film. I'm pretty sure I've mentioned it on more than one occasion. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's been a long time coming. I, I kind of basically have just been waiting for a time to get this on the podcast. Um, and it's, it seemed like this was the best time to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I I mean... I'm gonna I'm gonna say this one thing very quickly and then we're gonna move on very quickly. I think given what's happening in America at the moment, <laughs> yeah. uh, now seems like yeah, an appropriate time to talk about a movie of this nature. Um, yeah. Yeah. But we're not gonna go into that because we're not that kind of podcast. No. Um, so yeah, Jennifer's body. Jennifer's body. You are correct. It was two thousand and nine. Good job, babe. Uh, so it was written by Diet. Diablo Cody. Hashtag not her real name. <laughs> and directed by Karen Kasama. Legend. Legend. And cast-wise in this movie, we have Megan Fox as Jennifer Check, Amanda Seyfried as Needy. Liz Nicky. Liz Nicky. There you go, thank you. Uh, Johnny Simmons as Chip Duff. <laughs> Adam Brody as Nikolai. The rest of the band. <clears throat> Who were actually a band. Yeah. I can't remember what they're called, but they are an actual band. Um, the, the Maroon Fives. Yeah. Chris Pratt as Roman Duda. Kyle Gollner as Colin Gray. Josh Emerson as Jonas Cozzelli. J.K. Simmons as Mr. Rubowalski. Um, are J.K. Simmons and Johnny Simmons related? I do not know. I don't know. Was Good. that a joke? No, I was being okay. serious because they are like in a bunch of movies together, and I've always wondered if they're actually like. And I think that's kind of it for the main cast. I kind of assume Johnny Simmons isn't related to J.K. Simmons though, because J.K. Simmons is an absolute charisma factory, and Johnny Simmons is about as entertaining as a wet fart. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much it though for the main cast. I'm going to say that I am correct on that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm have a quick look. Uh, no, his dad is called Ben, so uh-huh. not JK. Um, to do, do synopsis for this movie is a newly possessed high school cheerleader turns into a succubus who specialises in killing her male classmates. Can her best friend put an end to the horror? Also, shout out Jason Reitman for sticking his little producer nose into this and getting a... Indeed. Because uh, he's a he's a ledge. And this movie was made on a budget of $16 million, and at box office it made 31.6. Yeah, despite the fact that it got fucking Roman duded by the fucking marketing department. Well, it literally made opening weekend $6.8 million, mm-hmm. and it kind of went quietly into the abyss. <clears throat> So there is a lot, this might be a longer episode than normal, only slightly longer, I think, because there's a lot of ground to cover with this movie. There is isn't. Um, I think we should start at the beginning. When did you first hear about this movie? I don't think I heard about it until we were together. I think the first I was ever really aware of it was when we watched it together for the first time. So what was that, 2014, 15-ish, yeah. roughly? So about five years after it came out. Mm-hmm. So I remember hearing about this movie way back in like 2007 I remember hearing about it like I think I saw the trailer when it first came out and I was like not interested in the slightest because I remember working at Virgin Megastore so it would have been around about 2007 2008 Mm. when Heat Magazine was still a thing and like Loaded and Nuts and all that sort of shit and Zoo and one of the magazines had 
got set photos of Megan Fox naked. And at that time, she was hotter than the surface of the sun. Like, those two Transformers movies had just come out. Yeah, it was out. like FHM or something. Yeah. had the photos and something. And I remember all the guys at work, the minute the magazine delivery came in, like, getting a copy of the magazine and taking it up to the staff room and blah, blah, blah. And I'd been quietly tracking the movie for a while. And then when I was at Comic-Con that summer, they had, like, posters up for everywhere because she was there promoting Jonah Hex, but weirdly enough, not promoting this movie. Um, and that's kind of where the whole sort of thing, because that was like three months before the movie came out. And um, I think the movie was in trouble because basically they didn't know how to market it. They wanted to capitalise on the fact that Megan Fox was Megan like Fox. massive at the time. Yeah. And then obviously in production, they took a lot of the gore of the movie out. They took all of the nudity in, in the movie out, which at the end of the day isn't a bad thing. I don't think the movie would have benefited from having it. But they kind of tried to market it as something else. I think they I think they didn't really know how to market it and then they quietly just dumped it in cinemas yeah, and didn't really push it. I remember kind of seeing the trailer and stuff for this when I was young. I say young. What was it? 2009? Yeah. So, yeah, I was still relatively young at the time. And I was like... From everything I can remember about the marketing of it, I was like, oh, I don't really want to watch another, oh, look how sexy these girls are getting their tits out, getting murdered, yeah. bullshit film. Because that was basically <clears throat> what it was marketed as. It was like tits out gore. Yeah. Horror. And I was like, oh, I have zero interest in ever, <laughs> ever watching it. And I think it wasn't until we got together and you were like, no, 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 you need to see it. It's not a tits out gore movie. Like, it's a really good film. You need to see it. That I actually went, okay, you're fine, whatever. And yeah, it is not the film they marketed it. As, no, I think at all. I think what they tried to do, and I don't know who is responsible for this, but it seems to be a bit of a running theme in Karen Kusama's career because obviously we know that she directed Eon Flux, yeah, which is a way better movie than it should be, but it could have been a lot better. It could have been a far better thing because they the, the studio hacked that to fuck as well. But, like, I think what they tried to do is, once they'd kind of jumbled it around and messed around with it, is they tried to market it as being similar to Juno, because obviously it's the same writer, same producer. Well, I mean, Jason Reitman directed Juno, but he produces this. I think they tried to capitalise on the fact that it was, like, from the writers and the team behind Juno to try and drum up interest. But I don't... It's a very confused film when you watch it. Because there's a lot of like, there's a lot of m messaging in the film, but it never really feels like a comedy, and it never really feels like it never really feels like it's outwardly comedy, and it never really feels like an outward horror movie. Mm. It kind of feels like six or one. And See, like... I I disagree with you fully on that. I feel like it works as a comedy movie, and it works as a horror movie, and it does work as both. And I feel like. This is one of those films that the studio didn't really manage to get their claws into because it does feel like a fully recognised vision of what um, Diablo and Cameron were trying to do. Mm -hmm. um, purely because I feel like if the studio had managed to get their claws into it, the nudity wouldn't have been taken out. Mm -hmm. The girl-on-girl -girl scenes probably wouldn't have been taken out because then they could have marketed it as like sexy lesbian horror. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And you know full well that is exactly the route they would have gone down if they had the choice of, like, we leave the lesbian stuff in. Yeah. And we can mark it as, like, a sexy sexy lesbian horror. Yeah, because like, girls get their clothes off and have sex. Like, I don't know too much about the production woes because there's not a lot on the internet. I know no, that it had, not. like... I know that it had reshoots and I know that there is a gorier... A gorier more, cut of it. More boobier cut of it somewhere. Yeah. Um, so I don't know whose decision it was to cut what out. I always just assume it's the studio's decisions because we all know film studios are arseholes. Um, but with that said, there is a... I think the problem with this movie is is that this movie, everybody looks at it as all surface stuff mm -hmm. and nobody ever really looks at what's under the hood. Um I will say one thing about this movie. If this movie had been released in the 90s, it would have been way more successful than it was being released in 2009. Yeah. Um, and I say that because this movie feels like the horror embodiment of, like, the Riot Girl movement from, like, the 90s. 
late 80s, early 90s. So if you watch this movie, and even if they'd released it in 2009 and set it in the 90s, I think it would have benefited from, from that a little bit more. But, like, it's named after a whole song. Yes, it is. It's all about, like, femininity and, like, female rage and female empowerment and, like, female autonomy and, like, exploring sexuality and, like, women's place in the world and all that sort of mm. thing. Things that I'm not really equipped to talk about. But you released this movie in the 90s when, like, Skunk and Nancy, Garbage, Alanis Morissette, L7, Hole, all of these bands are, like taken over the world i feel like this movie with those songs soundtracking it it would have been way 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 more successful than it was being released at the time when it was released see because it would have hit i don't think it would have and i think the main issue and part of the reason why it didn't gain popularity originally it has now oh yeah it now has a huge cult following in today's era but I think the problem with this film and it being made kind of anywhere before kind of what, 2015, 2016, 2017, yeah. is that it is, it is very depth, a huge look into the treatment of young girls, um, female empowerment. Uh, it, it's a huge metaphor for menstruation. Mm-hmm. And up until recently this nobody was prepared to sit and watch that film mm-hmm. and agree that it's a good movie yeah also i'm interested to hear what you think about this because mm. i've heard very very differing opinions on this do you think this is a queer movie or do you think this is a queer baity movie <sighs> so because people seem to be divided on it i have never viewed it as a queer film. I know it is very popular as a queer movie. It's put on a lot of queer movie um, marathons. Is nights. that the right word? Can we say as straight people? Can we say that word? Well, as I a straight mean, person, can I say that word? Uh, yeah, you can. Like, I don't have an issue with it. Nicole, my best friend, and like her partner is, and stuff, don't okay. have an issue with it. Is it? Is it an LGBTQ movie? Well, I'll say that. Q, yeah, like, I mean, Q and LGBTQ. TQ stands for questioning yeah. or queer, depending on which way you yeah. take it. So I just want to make sure I'm using the right terminology. I don't want to offend anybody. No, I think I think it's dependent on the person. It's kind of been mostly rec- reclaimed now by the LGBTQ yeah. community. So yes, I'm just. I think it's often referred to as well, like a movie night. It gets put on like queer movie yeah. nights. We are so. recording this during Pride Month, and I think it's a very important aspect of the film that we need to talk about. I just want to make sure so... I'm using the right terminology. I think it's really interesting because I understand why it gets put into a lot of those nights. I understand also why people would go, oh, it's really queer baity. However, personally, as a girl who didn't really come to terms with her sexuality until she was like 15. Yeah. It's always played out to me, especially the relationship between Needy and Jennifer, as like, the this when you start questioning your sexuality it was i don't think it was ever really supposed to be like oh they're in love with each other it's that exploration of being a teenager and kind of realizing that actually maybe you can be into women maybe you can be into men like it doesn't really matter and i think i think needy's also always supposed to be a little bit more into jennifer than jennifer is to her that's shown multiple times throughout the movie i always viewed it as the other way but wait, wait no no wait 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 let me finish where I was going, is it's played out as Needy needs Jennifer more than Jennifer needs her. Mm-hmm. However, Jennifer is more... Mm, I don't know how to word it in a way that works. <sighs> Jennifer is more... She's held on to Needy and she doesn't like the idea of Needy not being there. She doesn't need Needy. Yeah. But she doesn't want to like. She's like she's my friend. She's mine, not mm. yours. Even yeah. when it comes to Chip, she's like needy is mine. I let her, you like date her, but she's mine. Yeah. Which again is like <laughs> being sixteen, seventeen. I think we've all had a feel. Oh, <laughs> I have a female friendship kind of when I was like fourteen, fifteen, where I was like they're mine. Mm-hmm. Like I will. I'll deal with the fact that you're involved in their lives, but if it comes down to it, they're mine. Mm-hmm. 
And I don't know if that's a general girl thing, because I've never really talked about it with any of my friends, because it's a weird conversation. I mean, you do get a bit like that around Nicole. You do basically, you are like one step away from like pissing a circle around her like a cat. <laughs> no, I just don't literally. It's only that. I don't get to see a lot of her. And then she'll come over and you're like, Nicole, love me. And I'm like, no, she's here to see me. Yeah. Leave us alone. Because I, I always kind of viewed it as like, maybe Jennifer was bi. And she, that's why she's a, like eliminating boys in this movie. Mm. And that's why she has, because there's like moments in this where she mentions about like going both ways in terms of there's, but there's also, also if the you scene look where at she... the two guys two of the guys she takes out mm. one of which is obviously needy's boyfriend yeah and the other guy kyle gilner is the guy she likes is the guy who kind of has like a weird flirtatious relationship with needy yeah. and she's kind of not interested until needy's like oh no he's really nice like you should give him a chance yeah. and then jennifer's like no yeah like fine i'll take him then but then there's also the line where she says about them like playing mummy and daddy and then like there's the whole lesbian sequence in this movie which is initiated by her. Mm-hmm. But then I'm like again it's always it's almost kind of like they never really commit one way or the other. It's like is Jennifer bisexual and actually does want a relationship or wants more with needy or is she just using it as like a power thing like mm. she does with everybody else mm. in this movie. She's using her sexuality and like her um hold over needy if, to, to make sure she doesn't go anywhere yeah um and it's never really explored and i think that's one of the movie the movie's biggest missed op- missed opportunities because i know that in in the like i've heard i've seen and heard things from people in the community where they're like this movie really helped me come to terms of like my sexuality i do view it as like almost kind of like a coming out movie and things like that mm-hmm. and like for me personally like i i am not equipped to talk about those things because it's you know that's not how i view it but i do think there is an element of that in yeah. this movie that that they they didn't really commit to one way or the other and it's kind of like what we said about tragedy girls they never really commit I to think the relationship one way slightly or more yeah. to it and then tragedy girls but yeah you are right i mean i saw it way after i'd come to terms with my sexuality so yes didn't really matter much to me but like i can imagine being like a, a young girl like trying to figure out what i'm into and i mean that kiss scene is by far the sexiest thing that happens in this movie yes um and i don't know if that's just me or if it is legitimately the sexiest thing mm-hmm. that happens in this film um and both actors do such a good job with it as well like yeah. they it honestly feels like they weren't like oh god we've got to make out it was like mm-hmm. no we're doing this it is a Put really, your hole back into it, guys. It's a really um, interesting scene as well because it's like there is that moment of like Jennifer being the alpha in the situation, and then there's that moment where like Needy really gets into it, but then she suddenly pulls away, and it's yeah. like you know we've all been in that. I think to some degree, if you've ever questioned your sexuality, you have been in that sort of situation where you're like. I like this, but then there's that part of your brain that's like, no, this feels unnatural to me. Like, I don't know what's happening. Yeah. And I was like, it would be interesting to see if that, because of that relationship, because they've been friends since the year dot, if that was part of it or if it was just a case of she's like, no, 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 like, we can't do this because whatever, because we're like best friends or like, I just don't like yeah. girls. But yeah, it's <clears throat> it's one of the things that I've always found the most fascinating about this film. Like, I personally, there are a lot of things in this movie that I feel like I don't feel equipped to talk about. Like I said to you before we started recording, there are a lot of metaphors in this movie and mm-hmm. there are a lot of things. like. So I feel like for the next sort of 10 minutes, you should probably talk about the movie and then I'll join you back in. <laughs> when you Because there's no, to, to be honest, there's like a lot of things um... in this movie that I think would pass me by or I'm not, like I don't want to speak out of turn and be like, that's indicative of this because I was like, I I don't know. Yeah, the like... thing is, it's one of those really interesting films. Like, I think my favourite part of it is, and I, 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 I've always assumed it's on purpose, but I don't know if it actually is, is that the film kind of works as a metaphor for uh, menstruation really well of like, but in the reverse mm-hmm. of like, Jennifer needs the blood to survive. Yes. And then once she's had the blood she goes back to like her skin's clear she's 
like her tan comes back she's more energetic and then when she's hungry she kind of starts getting washed out she has certain spots her hair's a little bit more greasy like she's aggy yeah <laughs> aggressively angry uh which i relate to um and i really like that but also it works on the the same set of it being like a metaphor for female sexuality and kind of that awkward phase in a girl's life and i think needy and jennifer balance out really well of like as a teenager you're one of two kinds of girls you're either the nerdy band girl who everyone kind of overlooks you're not a threat you're not viewed as a sexual being you're just kind of you're sandy yeah you're sandy or alternatively Hermione Granger in the first four Harry Potter books until they kind of realise actually she is in fact a girl um or you are the promiscuous sexually active slut don't use that as a slur but they're like the two types of girls you generally get the 80s horror movie like staple yeah you're either the innocent virgin or the horrendous slut like they're Mm. the two and it's an interesting view in this film of you have the characters that represent the two alternate versions of female characters in movies um and also the fact that there's a moment in this film where once needy loses her virginity the horror of it um she then kind of gains power and she fully goes up against jennifer because she's now also empowered because she's had sex Mm -hmm. which i think is a really interesting choice but that scene in itself is cut really interestingly because it's cut a flashback between needy having sex and jennifer killing connor colin the gray colin um and it's like cut they're intercut with each other and it kind of gives this whole message of like needy losing her virginity is on the same horror level as jennifer murdering a guy mm-hmm. like it's just as bad are they trying to imply that at that same time both women are like sucking the life force out of men yeah I yeah mean... true uh but it is an interesting it, it is i think a very um not all men but a very male view <laughs> of like once you are no longer a virgin you are worth less and in this movie, they kind of hint at the idea that premarital sex is as, as evil as murdering somebody, which is a really interesting viewpoint. And I think it's probably a viewpoint that is shared by some people. Um, and I like that. I think it's really cool that they kind of went, oh, look, she's having sex just as bad as murdering somebody, guys. Don't do it. Don't do premarital sex, you naughty, naughty kids. <laughs> and I'm just there like, a bit late, guys. <laughs> yeah. Shit, sorry. But it is interesting, and I do like the two the two sides of the coin you get with with the two characters of one of them being the innocent virgin and the other one being the slut, and the way that they are because Jennifer is so in control of who she is because she's fully determined with who she is. She doesn't care. She's like she will willingly use her sexuality, mm-hmm. and then there's Needy on the other foot who's like covered up, and she's like oh, I can't let anybody think that like I'm a sexual being because they won't respect me anywhere anymore whereas Jeff is just like fuck it I really don't care yeah I think one of the other interesting things about this movie as well and like it's one of the more darker like subplots that never really like gets um I don't think it gets enough play in this movie for like how important it is mm-hmm. to like the wider world but like obviously the band in this low shoulder yes. um as played by Adam Brody and those other guys the band. um obviously there's a scene in this movie where they like obviously sacrifice Jennifer mm-hmm. and then they become like she obviously becomes this this creature and um she goes through all these transformations and she has to live with that like this thing that went this happened to her but then they become super famous and there's a scene in this movie where the, I can't remember the girl in that class is talking about them and then like Needy's like no they're fucking scumbags and stuff and I think that's really important like it's a really important plot line that net that kind of like drives home about what happens with victims and things like that and like the fact that she went through this traumatic experience which is in this movie it's shown to be akin to like a sexual assault mm-hmm. and her abusers don't have any repercussions and they just become 
I mean, until the end, they, they just eventually. they just become more famous and they become bulletproof while she's like hounded and it's it's such an important message that I do feel gets that because this movie is so full of stuff that's going on it's one of the more important aspects of the story that kind of doesn't get enough yeah. light shed on it especially again though because this falls into the same the same kind of band of how this film did became far more popular than it was originally is a lot of the things that are addressed in this movie so like um low shoulder and the treatment of jennifer's character it a lot of it comes down to it becoming a lot more popular in the me too movement now yeah because essentially what this film tells you is that it, it's pictured up in pretty demonic yeah bows but jennifer gets well i'm assuming in actual fact because we don't know like we as far as we're aware he just gives her a drink my assumption is that he date rapes her mm. because she gets way too woozy far too quickly for like three they put date rape of... drug yeah. yeah like um she gets drugged she gets taken to a secondary location in the film she gets sacrificed yeah but it, it seems like a huge mm. metaphor for sexual assault. And then it because she, because she's kind of doesn't really come to terms with what happens to her until she tells Needy the story. Yeah. A lot of the first part of this movie can be played out like a, a survivor or something like that, dealing with what happened to mm-hmm. them by um using their own sexuality as a weapon. Mm-hmm. Because they don't know how to cope with what happened to them. So yeah. instead of dealing, they just go, right, well, this happened to me. So I'm going to go out and like use what, what happened to me as a weapon against the kind of people who would have hurt me. Yeah. And then she she finally tells Needy what happens. And Needy doesn't really support her or accept her as she is now after what happened. So as a... A final attack on her friend she goes after the one thing she knows would hurt her friend in the way that she was hurt yeah but it also talks about like as you quite rightly hit the nail on the head like that way that in some instances like people's viewpoints change towards friends or family when they go through an assault Mm -hmm. like as much as it changes victims it changes relationships that you have with those people because I think people don't know what to think or they don't know how to act. And it's also that kind of thing of like, they look at you differently, yep. like automatically. Um, and I think that's such a huge thing in this movie that kind of gets a little bit swept under the rug in terms of maybe keeping the film lighter, I guess. Yeah, I don't really know. It's all, it kind of plays out that way. And as well as, you know, it's one of those things that if you're not entirely sure it happened, or you kind of are like, oh, well, I was drunk, so it was my fault. Mm-hmm. Or it, it's because of me. Which is a way a lot of women are um, trained into thinking. Is if that if we were drunk, then it's our fault. Yeah. And it never is. No, it never is. Um, but that can manifest itself afterwards in a very much like a, an attack. Mm-hmm. You're like, okay, well, this happened to me so I'm going to go out and I'm going to, you know, use what happened to me as a weapon. And it's a really, it's, I don't think it's ever really been, I don't read anywhere about it, but like to me it always paid out as like a survivor story. Yeah. And... Yeah, this scene is like, this movie is like definitely two or three scenes away from being a rape revenge movie. Oh yeah. Like a hundred percent. But they all they've done is covered up the human horror of it by making it a demonic horror instead. Yeah. It's the exact same story. If you take out the demonic aspects of it and make it a rape-revenge movie, it plays out the exact same way. Yeah, this movie is but essentially... what they did was... that's really it, it, It's hard to watch either way, but they were like, if we make it a supernatural entity instead mm-hmm. and make it about demonic possession and human sacrifice, it makes it that little bit easier... To digest. to digest. Yeah. I mean, this movie is, like, essentially the accused, but with, like, demonic possession in, in a, certain, mm-hmm. a certain lens. I'm sure there's somebody out there that's going to be like, you are way off base, and I'm like, we are watching two completely different movies yeah. if you do not see that. Um, and I think that's, like, this movie has so many, like, interesting facets to it that I think that's why it's so frustrating and... in certain respects. Because, yeah. I mean, you go into this movie thinking... You, one of two things oh yeah this is like 
Megan Fox movie. Like, you know, it's it's essentially t- Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen. You can yeah. you can think that when you go into it, or you can look at what's there I and see the pieces. There's one scene in particular in this movie that always feeds me back into the way I view this film as it being a survivor story. And it's, I think, personally, the saddest scene in the entire film. So there's a scene when they're getting ready for prom. Mm-hmm. And Neely's mum's doing her hair. She's helping her get ready. And then it cuts to Jennifer. And she's sat on her own. There's nobody helping her get ready at all. And she is just slathering makeup onto her face. Mm-hmm. And it's heartbreakingly sad. Yeah, it's like... Because she's going through it on her own. There's no support. And she's doing everything she can to make herself feel normal and mm-hmm. human again. But it's also that whole thing of, like, I have to put on my mask now. Yeah. I have to put on the mask that I put on every day to face reality, to face... Yeah, to, to make you know, me feel yeah. normal again. It's like putting on armour, isn't it? Yeah. It's like, you know, I have to... The whole world is so used to seeing me a certain way, I cannot present myself any as, other way. Uh, as Eliza Schlesinger said and said it really well, is this isn't makeup, it's war paint. Yeah. And that's the thing, though, isn't it? Like, everybody in everyday life, in some way or another, is wearing a form of mask or a form of armour. Whether it's like a fucking kid in school or it's a a stockbroker earning £45,000 a year. Like, everybody is doing something to make themselves... to take themselves out of the Oh, yeah, and it takes a lot for a person to kind of just go, actually... I don't want to pretend to be somebody else anymore. I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of me from college. I have. But I went through a phase when I was about 17 um, where I basically turned into Jennifer Mm -hmm. and I wore mini skirts, face full of makeup, low cut tops, high heels, everywhere. Mm -hmm. Because I didn't want to face the world as me. So I was like, I'm going to play at being somebody else and it took a long time like speaking as a woman like it took a really long time to kind of go well actually i don't i'd rather just be me yeah and like obviously no one on their podcast really knows me but like i don't wear makeup anymore i i cover up mostly i don't really wear i don't wear skirts ever i'm wearing a dress or a floor length <coughs> dress i don't particularly i i i'm not comfortable in short clothes mm-hmm. but it took a long time for me to kind of go I don't have to be like that. Like, I can just go... I mean, even Halloween, I don't do slightly Halloween costumes. And the last Halloween party I went to, I had on I had on a strapless dress, but it was a knee-length prom dress. Uh-huh. Like, and it takes a lot. But uh, a lot of this film, especially um, in the portrayal of Jennifer, like, you can see a lot of, like, front for her trying to be anybody except the person she actually is. Yeah, and like I think, I think the movie uh, kind of becomes a bit more interesting in those scenes where she is like an, to use her words, like a normal girl. Mm. I think her character becomes way more interesting in those scenes because you start to see those little cracks of like vulnerability and like you actually see is, the person underneath is it's not even the scenes where she's hungry and her you know she's... I love that you, keep, you keep referring to it as that well that's what she I know, says I know, I know. she's hungry I just, yeah there's little scenes that exist in this movie especially between her and needy um where you see these little glimmers of like the real jennifer mm-hmm um, this scene in her bed in Needy's bedroom when she finally tells Needy what actually happened mm-hmm. is a really great example of it. Because up until she then turns around and tries to seduce Needy, she's kind of she's covered in her blanket. She's got one of Needy's shirts on. Yeah. And she's very vulnerable for like a short period of time, and then Needy kind of turns on her a little bit. Yeah. And then Jennifer reverts back to. Being. being Jennifer yeah, instead of being Jen. I think it's the best way to explain it, isn't it? Is there's Jen who is friends with Needy and then there's Jennifer who is doing all of this stuff. Yeah. And uh, it is interesting to see these like soft moments between the two, especially between the two female leads. Like um, Amanda Seyfried and Megan Fox do such an amazing job of giving the whole thing, like these really delicate soft moments between the two characters. 
and there are a lot of them are blink and miss it moments as well of like if you're not paying attention you don't see them yeah and uh, I just think that's really sweet I think they do such an excellent job the two of them um portraying like a, a female friendship do you think this movie is ahead was ahead of its time so far ahead of its time massively ahead of its time nobody was ready for this movie when it came out i wasn't ready i wasn't <laughs> ready Kevin Hart would say, i wasn't ready nobody nobody was ready for this film when it came out and especially looking back like you look now you walk into a bookshop and there is like 20 shelves dedicated to like feminist literature and like stuff like that you look when this film came out it was like one bookshelf tucked in the back of a shop because nobody mm-hmm. really wanted to talk about what was happening to women yeah um and this movie really does deal with with what girls go through and not just in like the way we spoke about it but like the treatment of the two characters and how they're treated differently how the male characters are treated differently to the women in this film as well and um it it is a feminist film and nobody was ready for that in 2009. This is not a feminist song. Turns out it was, <laughs> was feminist all along. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I 100% agree. Like, I I saw this movie a lot. Um, I yeah, This is one of your favourite films. Yeah, I fucking love this movie. I saw it a lot when it first came out. And I bought it, like, on DVD the minute it, like, came out. And I watch it, like really really regularly you do actually um, true. and like to the point where i know most of the dialogue yeah. verbatim because you were quoting along with it while like, watching but it. we but we but like there's things in this movie like we we quote all the time yeah we do like i will phone you up and be like are you on your way home from somewhere and you'll be like no i'm gonna be out for a bit long and i'll like, boo, like boo cross, cross out lee, lee. <laughs> And stuff like that. And, you um, say the aquamarine line a lot. Yeah, like the girl who's half sushi. It's like about a girl who's half sushi. Um, I think she has sex with a blowfish. No, so I think she has sex with a blowhole. Blowhole, the there we go. Yeah, and like, so I quote this movie quite a lot, but like, I I have had a lot of conversations. So I I had a girlfriend at the time when this movie came out, and we watched it together, and she was like, "You only like it because the kids say stupid stuff," and I was like, "No." I was like, you don't understand. I was like, you don't. I was like, you're clearly like missing all of the point of this movie. And I was like, if anything, the dialogue in this movie is one of the worst fucking aspects oh, yeah. of the film. Like, not to shit on Diablo Cody because I fucking love the woman. I think she's an. She's absolute... a very distinctive writing yeah. style, though. Yeah. But she kind of falls into that trap of like a lot of movies at this time, where like language is used that you wouldn't really get away with using now or it's it's very much a product of its time like uh, what is it what is it that always gets me oh um you give me a wetty yeah <laughs> you give me such a wetty every time and it makes me throw up a little bit in my mouth and i've like, never once heard a girl say it and i never want to and like they drop the hard r word in this movie yes, quite a lot and then she puts the word freak on top of it as well so it becomes freak yeah as well um yeah, I think the dialogue is one of the cringiest aspects. There are like really quotable lines in this movie and there are some there's some really funny shit in this movie. But when you compare it to like Juno, so Diablo Cody wrote Juno, she wrote this, she wrote Young Adult, which is another movie Jason Reitman directed, and then she did a script polish on the 2013 Evil Dead, so she punched up some of the dialogue in that. And I think by far dialogue wise this is this is the the one that you go back to and you kind of go the most yeah but it's also indicative sadly of what kids were like so she has actually nailed teenage culture in the early 2000s so i don't necessarily think it's her fault that the dialogue is cringy i just think that that is what dialogue was like back then. Yeah. And it's kind of hard, like, when everyone on, like, MySpace was, like, dropping hard Gs and Fs and Rs and stuff like that, and you're just like, is this how everybody used to talk to each other? And it's like, it is kind of hard when you you go back and, like, listen to some of it. However, I think from a scripting aspect, the the fact that she manages to cleverly get in so many metaphors and so many messages and so many important things 
hidden in the depths of essentially what is yeah like a a B movie monster movie like she's talking about like you know every man in this movie is like abusing their power like whether it's like to a degree whether you've got someone like fucking Roman who is Chris Pratt who's like a police cadet who's kind of having sex with an underage girl mm. because he thinks he's untouchable because he's going to be in the police or you've got like as we said, the band who are like... I mean, the only guy who kind of gets away is J.K. Simmons. <laughs> yeah, J.K. Simmons is a gift, though. The man is a fucking gift. I fucking love the little hook-handed bastard. Yeah, okay. <clears throat> but yeah, no, I think they do, they do a really good job. Like, I like... I love... I think my favourite part of this whole film, though, is the betrayal of female friendships. Yeah. Um, And the thing is, is... I, I even say being young, but even now, like, there are female friendships that will play out much like a love story like i know it irritates you to you to no end of how me and nicole can get with each other uh but like my best friend is honestly as much as i love you like nicole is my soulmate Mm -hmm. like she is the one person in this planet like i know i can call her at three in the morning quoting some dumb shit that only like five people in the world have ever seen and she will quote it back to me in a heartbeat Mm -hmm. and um i really love that they kind of do give I mean, I'd never make out with Nicole. The idea of kissing her makes me kind of want to throw up. <laughs> no offence, babe. But the idea of like making out with Nicole kind of makes me want to vomit a little bit. <laughs> I, I do I do think that is interesting, though, because like, as somebody who doesn't really have a massive like circle of friends, um, I find it really interesting. Like, a lot of the friendships I have that have lasted over time are with women. Yeah. Um, some of my best friends I've known for like 20 years and yeah. they're, they're girls. Um, but like, I think guy relationships are, like friendships are different to what female friendships are. Like, guys, I don't know if it's just like guys in general, but I always feel like guys are kind of afraid to be like in touch with themselves to a degree. I think there's always that like, whole thing of like, oh dude like no, no homo. homo yeah yeah and it's like come on man like i like i've seen you and nicole like walk down the street holding hands and it doesn't bother you because but like i couldn't imagine doing that with yeah. like any of oh, my like, friends my i don't i don't get i can't speak of female friendships in general but like and like i'm not like it with a lot of my female friends every one of them no i'm not but like when nicole comes over so me and nicole have been friends 15 years are we no 14 years this year and, like, she'll come to the house, like, we say hello with, like, a quick kiss on the lips. We'll hold hands when we go out. We cuddle on the sofa, which irritates you to no end, because Lyra gets kicked off to one side and me and Nicole will curl up with each other on the other end of the sofa. Hey, look, man, I'm just saying, those specialist movies made it seem like it was going to be way more interesting. <laughs> but, like, we are very comfortable together because we've been friends for so long. And, like, we do it in front of you, like, we do it in front of Nicole's partner, like... Yeah. It's just how we are. But, like, it's only <coughs> Nicole. Uh, Jesse, I'll kiss on the cheek when we see each other. That's how we tend to say good. We say goodbye more than hello that way. Rosie doesn't really like being touched too much, so I can just about squeeze a cuddle out of her. Yes. And then she'll be like, stop touching me, I hate you, which is fair. Rosie's like an angry cat. She is like an angry cat. You have to catch her otherwise. Yeah. Karen will hug me hello and goodbye, but otherwise doesn't particularly like being touched. Yes. But like me and Nicole are very clingy. Yeah, whereas but we're both quite clingy people with everybody. So. Whereas like, <laughs> whereas like guys are just like stop. Yeah. Beer, sports, food, football, boobs, stuff. I feel like you're hanging out with the wrong kind of guys. Like all of my like my male friendships run in a very similar vein. So they're all quite. I'm not gonna. Touchy. I'm not gonna name anybody. I don't feel like I need to name and shame anybody. But I have like friends who are literally just like. Bro. like yeah like literally i have i have friends that are like hey man like yeah well we had this conversation the other day because we were talking about like my interactions with your friendship group and like your friendship group are all quite a lot older than me mm-hmm. but b we don't see a lot of but like we have one of your friends who we see randomly from nowhere he's like a stray cat he's like a stray cat we won't see him for six months and he'll pop up out of the blue and then you won't see him again for like another six months. But ever since the first time we met, every time I run into him, he's like, come give me a hug. Like, how are you? How's life? How's like Simon if you're not with me? Mm-hmm. Like, he will always like, he's always like, 
give you a quick cuddle, like say we are. He hugs you as well. Mm-hmm. Normally leaves smelling of his aftershave. Yes. <laughs> very, very pours a bottle on. Um, but like the rest of your friends, like I don't think I've ever hugged any of your other friends. Yeah. Apart from Kate, I've definitely hugged yeah. Kate. But like your male friends, I might have hugged um, Big Scott. Mm-hmm. But this, but this is the thing. Like I find, <laughs> I find that this movie is like kind of a good portrayal of female friendships but like male friendships are like a completely opposite like i think that's the really or maybe interesting maybe it's just thing. because i hang out with fucking dickheads i, I think know. that's the really interesting thing though as well because like i've heard it a lot from guys when like you have a female movie so kind of like they are in tragedy girls with each other or <clears throat> i'm trying to think of other films where it's kind of dealt with i can't think of any really or satanic panic actually the friendship that builds between the two main characters yes. Uh, I'll have like I've heard a lot of guys be like, oh, like they were definitely gonna bang, and I'm like, or alternatively, it's just what girls' friendships are like because mm-hmm. we don't care. Like, weirdly enough, I think my only female friend that I've had since college that I have not seen naked is Nicole. Good. Anyway, because <laughs> you know what I mean, like most female friendships, you give very little care. Like you will just strip yeah. in front of each other. Uh, you're a lot of times you're quite touchy feeling with each other as well like because that's just what girls are like like there's no like oh no and bearing in mind as well a massive chunk of my friendship group growing up we none of us were fucking straight Mm -hmm. at all but it was always kind of like uh well what the fuck does it matter we've all got the same bits who really cares yeah which i don't think really happens with guys no. Like, girl, like, I feel like girl friendships and guy friendships are very different. But yeah, like, it would very much... And I know all the guys, like, oh, you hang out in your underwear and have pillow fights. I'm like, no, we don't. We will strip in front of each other to get changed and then we will put on our rattiest possible fucking clothes and shove food in our mouth that we never want guys to see us eat. Can confirm I have seen it happen. You have. You've seen me and Nicole demolish a pizza in, like, ten minutes wearing mm-hmm. the rattiest clothes physically possible. That definitely should have been thrown away about three years ago. Yeah, but I, I definitely think there is a massive divide between male and female friendships. But I, but think... I do love this picture guys have of what female friendships are like in their head as well. Yeah, but this, so is, this, is, this is another thing though, isn't it? Because this is kind of like, I'm really glad you said that. Because this movie kind of addresses that as mm-hmm. well. Because as as Megan Fox, the, or as Jennifer says, there's a, a line in this movie about PMS, and she's like, it's all about the boy-run media to make us seem crazy. Mm-hmm. And I think that the greatest trick that this movie pulls is it takes somebody like Megan Fox, and I'm, I'm going to be very careful how I word this, and it makes her look normal. They're like, you're coming to see this movie because you think she's going to get her tits out, and she's going to look glorious, and she's going to be blah, blah, blah. And then they make her look... As they disgusting her down as humanly possible in scenes in this movie. Yeah. And I think it's a really scathing... I mean, I don't in... want to say disgusting. No, because there are scenes it. where she's covered in blood and the oh, teeth yeah. are out and she's like puking up everywhere. Like yeah, that's what I mean. Descended. I don't mean like... I thought you meant in... no, 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 no. I was like... That's why I said there are scenes in this movie <laughs> right, where she okay. looks grotesque because of the, the demon. But I think that's the greatest thing about this movie is they took the idea... Like, and it wouldn't surprise me if those photos hadn't leaked out on purpose, to be honest, before the movie came out, to, to pique interest in this movie. Yeah. However, what the movie does is it then pulls the rug out from underneath you. It uses the media's idea of who Megan Fox is, all of the shit we heard about how Michael Bay treated her when she was, like, 16, and he had her fucking bent over motorcycles and was, like, putting a camera basically up her vagina in Transformers. It's all well documented in the media. And then it basically takes everything that men think as their fantasy and then pulls a rug out from underneath you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's such an interesting thing. I'm so glad you mentioned that because the way women are portrayed in like pornography, in like modelling, magazines, like all things like this. TV, film. <laughs> yeah. Like you can go see any film that is set in a high school. The girls will have a sleepover. Yeah. And they'll be in little white bra and panty sets. Yeah. Having a p- I'm pretty sure they do it in Pitch Perfect too. Yeah. Having like a pillow fight and it's all really sexy. No, for any guys listening who do not spend an extended amount of time around women, 
Women never, as far as I am aware in my life, ever do that. We will, in the privacy of our own home, when you can't see us, have no makeup, hair in the scrappiest bun you can ever find, yeah. or in my case, not washed and just left to go to fuck. Ratty clothes, and we will eat everything that the uni- that the world says girls shouldn't eat on a date. Yeah. And Whitney Cummins did a whole thing about this recently. We'll have at 20 wings, three pizzas, <laughs> and a tray of fries, and then be contemplating how many tubs of ice cream is an appropriate amount of ice cream for three girls to eat. Yeah, because Whitney Cummins does a whole thing about this, about people staying over at her house, and she's all like, you know, everybody thinks that we're really sexy. She's like, no, a woman comes over to my house wearing makeup, and I'm like, no. Bitch, get, get off. Yeah, so get the fuck out. Like, she's like, whose side are you on? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's really fascinating. Like... You know, and especially in today's age, and like, I do wonder if this movie had been released now, like, with the whole thing of like filters and Instagram and how everything on the internet is fake and all this sort of stuff. But like, it is fascinating how like men have these ideas. But then I've always said this, and I I think it's one of the funniest things in the world from such a sad perspective that like you will get fucking dudes that will sit there like beavers and butthead watching hours and hours and hours of girl-on-girl porn or they will want to watch like movies like this or like <laughs> lesbians then they'll go out and be massive homophobes oh, i was like yeah. in my head that does not because it's different though because lesbians are sexy because it's two girls like doing hot stuff together but if it's a gay guy he might want to fuck yeah but i'm you. just like even like they'll be homophobic towards irl lesbians yeah, but they're not hot. And it's like it's like they're how? not hot porn star lesbians. Like, I don't. Are they? Yeah, but I don't understand. It's like, confusing to me. It's on very. It's, it's so very strange. It's, it's odd. But I do like the fact you brought up like this being made now and like the use of Instagram filters and stuff. So I just want to. I've got to say it because we've never discussed it. Instagram filters are the most toxic thing that has happened in recent Mate, fucking years. I saw one the other I... day that makes your face symmetrical. Oh yeah, he the looks weird. Is, not the into fuck it. is that? So I don't use Instagram filters because I don't need to fuck my patro- like my my idea of what I look like up any more than it already yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like I have sat before with like the filter, and the filters are so good now. Like I because I'm like I want to know what I would look like under a filter. Like what? Yeah. Because it's got a little win. They are so good that you can't even tell that it's a filter. Like, it legitimately looks like it's real because it, yeah. it looks fine. And I'm, like, looking at it going, I know I don't look like that. Like, I yeah. look nothing like that. And the fact that you can, like, erase things. Yeah. So, like, most phones now have, like, the magic erasers so you can, like, remove spots or oh, eye no, bags. That's, no, that's not a magic eraser. Magic eraser takes stuff out from the background. It's, it's, oh. got, built in a, it's got a built-in filter yeah. system. It's fucking yeah. scary. Because uh, I, uh, for anyone who follows my Instagram, I don't use filters because I can't stand them. I think yeah. it's really toxic. And I do I do wonder if, like, how much that would have come into play if, like, oh, this movie was made now. 100%. And, like, stuff like that, like... It's it's fascinating to think how how ahead of its time this movie was, but also like what this movie would be like if it was made now, yeah. and like the culture that we're in now with oh, like yeah. social media and cyberbullying and like cancelling people and you know all this sort of stuff. I like you know you think about kind of like where this movie could go now or could have gone if it was made now, and I think it's it becomes a more frightening sort of film. Oh As, yeah, and you know, you know damn well, like Low Shoulder would have like fucking filmed the sacrifice on that phone, and it would have been uploaded to like that band page or something fucking stupid like that yeah. as a stunt. Yeah, you know, and they would have capitalized on it even more and things like that. And stuff like that is like really frightening when you think about it. Like, but we didn't have all that. Like two thousand nine, no. we had we had XD Raw back in the day. Like, this movie was going. Oh out. my god, some guy <laughs> XD Raw my girlfriend. Let's go fight him. <laughs> Oh. I think it's an actual conversation I did have at one point. I'm gonna because te- I'm gonna te- some guy had XD rod on one of my girlfriend's pictures and I was like, I'm going to have to go fight a bitch. I'm going to T-pose this motherfucker right now. <laughs> I love how you learned what the T-pose was the other day and now it's a thing, isn't it? But like, this movie came out literally a couple of years after Facebook was a thing. And then like on the I mean, it was, on the cusp it was like MySpace was yeah. still the major And it was on the cusp of Twitter just coming out. No, uh, it hung on. 2009, you know, it would not have been MySpace. MySpace would have point. just been on the outs. MySpace would have been Facebook dying. Would have... Bebo would have gone. Facebook would have... You'd have still been poking people and throwing sheep at them. Yeah, yeah. And then, like, 
we had obviously the cusp of Twitter. Twitter was on the cusp of coming out around this time as well. You know, I got reminded of that the other day that you could throw sheep at people on uh, on Facebook. I used to do it. I felt really sheepish afterwards. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like poking walls. Just keep going. But now we've talked about all the like really fucking <laughs> sad, somber, like but really important stuff that's in this movie. Um, what do you think of this movie, like generally? Because you're so, definitely not as fond of it as what I <laughs> I, like everything this film is trying to say, say, however, I don't like this movie. Okay. Which sounds really horrible. Because, like, the thing is, is, it's a good film. But I just, it's never really held my attention as a movie. Mm-hmm. I don't particularly like the scripting mm-hmm. um i think it's shot wonderfully but just a bit too dark personally um but yeah i don't know what it is because like i can sit and talk about this movie and praise this film for everything it does but then if someone went oh you really like it then i'm like no i don't i i don't know what it is about the film because the acting's good the, the the way it's shot is wonderful the direction is great the production is great the soundtrack's excellent the script for all of its errors is a generally quite a good script. It's a really interesting film, but for some reason, I just don't like it. Yeah, it is one of those movies that I don't think it's ever really clicked with you. No. Like, I do I do think the scripting is a problem, but I think that's at a dialogue level. Mm. Um, I think maybe there are too many jokes and too many, like, uh, stupid phrases in this movie. Mm. Um, however, I like the pacing of it and the film has a really unique energy to it, mm. um, which I enjoy. I enjoy the fact that it has this really weird, uh, high school kind of like meets demonic possession kind of super vibe to it. Mm. Uh, it feels in a lot of ways like a Buffy episode, yeah. which I quite like. Um, I love the direction, and I think this is the movie that really signalled that Karen Kusama was going to be something special. Because mm. um, obviously she'd done Girl Fight with Jennifer Lopez, the the boxing movie. Um, is it one with Jennifer Lopez? No, that's enough. But she did the movie Girl Fight, which is about like bare-knuckle female boxing. And then obviously in the years since then, she's done The inv- Invitation. Yeah, she did The Invitation, she did Destroyer. And then obviously she's done Yellow Jackets. She was involved with Yellow Jackets. Um, so I think I love the fact that she works on movies that have really, really strong female leads and they have a lot to say about like the way that women interact with each other. Mm-hmm. I love both the leads. I think both Megan Fox and Amanda Seyfried are absolutely electric in this movie. Mm-hmm. And I don't think the movie works without either of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can understand why this would be a hard movie to love. Because you really, really have to be, like, in the pocket of, like, the scripting and the dialogue and everything coming together. But I do think that anybody that's watched this movie and dismissed it or watched it when it came out and hasn't gone back to it, I would highly recommend, like, going back and watching it. Um, Because I do think, especially now in the times that we live in, the movie is more uh, pertinent, maybe, than it was back in 2009. Mm -hmm. And I think it's aged incredibly well for the things that it needs to say. And I do think that it was a case of waiting for people to catch up to it. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's why it gets all of its flowers now and why everybody goes back. And like for its 10 year anniversary in 2009, there were so many think pieces and there were so many like why Jennifer's body is good, actually, or celebrating Jennifer's body at 10. And people wrote all these amazing pieces about them. And be honest, this is a movie that I would show people in like a psychology class mm. or a, a feminine studies class. Like I think it would hold up as like being on a syllabus as a movie mm. that you could watch and you could feasibly dissect and oh, look 100%. at all the parallels and metaphors and hidden meanings and messages and what the movie's actually trying to say. Um, I just think that people don't want to give it the time of day. Mm. I also think without this movie, you don't get movies like The Babysitter or Happy Death Day or Freaky, or Tragedy Girls, or Satanic Panic. This movie ran, like walked so those movies could run, especially Happy Death Day. Mm. You don't get Tree without having Jennifer. Mm. Like, mm. 
And I think it's I think that's it's lot like for all it says about feminine femininity and female issues and things like that, which I think is the biggest part of its lasting legacy. I think the influence it has had throughout the horror sphere is also one of the film's lasting legacies as well. Also, fuck Adam Brody. Can we stop putting that guy in fucking stuff? Just put him in everything. I fucking love Adam Brody. He's a fucking douchebag. Put him in everything. Do you think the movie could have done without the low shoulder subplot? Because I, I fucking hate that subplot. Um, no, because they need it in order to get Jennifer where she has to be. Could it have not just been anything else? <laughs> I mean, it could have been a satanic cult, I guess. But that's could have been like odd. a craft type situation. Um, I just find them horrendously irritating, and I think you're supposed, supposed to, to. But yeah, and like they? that fucking song. Through the trees. Through the fucking trees. Through like, the trees, babe. He's he's really he like to be fair like of the movies of his that we've watched recently, he is really good in this movie. Uh, he's good he, in everything. Because he basically just plays Adam Levine. Yeah. Uh, that. Got, in fact, he makes a reference to Maroon Five yeah. in this movie. I don't know what it is about Adam Levine. Uh, you don't trust him, do you? Uh, he really skeeves me out. Like I've always like he's he went from this love has taken its toll to I'm outside your fucking house in the bushes. <laughs> <laughs> that animals video man scares the f- like he looks like a fucking serial killer. Well, he's supposed to. Yeah, but just generally, <laughs> like he's got like he went from being the guy in a skinny tie and a sweatshirt singing about this fucking bird who will be loved. To having a bunch of random crap prison he, tattoos he is, he is and the, covering himself he is in blood. The epitome of that um, of that meme of I'll have a homeboy nine and then now she calls me daddy. Yeah, but like, <laughs> but like in a super creepy way. Like if if I turned on the news tomorrow and they said um, severed heads found in the fridge of Maroon Five singer, I would not be shocked. <laughs> that guy fucking just there's something abnormal about him in the same way that there's something abnormal about Tom Cruise I will be like, very clear we are not in any way accusing Adam Levine of having fucking heads in his freezer I'm just saying this podcast will have a date on it if anything ever comes to light about him just remember I said it first but for the purposes of liability and all that stuff I'm I'm just it's for entertainment purposes or whatever um, <laughs> but yeah so I think the band are good, actually. Like, they are douchey as fuck. And I could have done without some of the scenes of them in the movie. I definitely could have done without that song being played every five minutes. I just think once that part is done, they take a massive backseat in this movie. And there could have been an easier way to get her possessed. I just think, like, for the amount of annoyance they cause me, like, we could have got a different route. 100%. Uh, what do you think of like the other characters though? What do you think of Chip? Chip's dick. Chip sucks. Chip does suck. Man's out there with his fucking squirrel condoms thinking he's the fucking shit. Just swirls on them. Yeah. Yeah, he's way too interested in just like banging needy. But that seems to be his main thing for the entire movie is like, oh, I have sex with her. Go have sex with her. Go he have is sex a... with her. Go have sex with her. He's a massive sex pest. He is a very one dimensional character. Yeah. Um, but then I think all the guys in this movie are all to kind be of fair, I did be say this while watching it though is it's um, Colin is I think my favourite because 14, 15 year old me would have been like swoopy hair he's got his little belt on he's got all black painted nails I would have been weak at the fucking knees I literally he would have been like peak for me as a teenager and I've been like oh but then you see Kyle Golner in Scream 5 and you're like, rapist. Yeah. <laughs> like, he just looks... Well, he's supposed to look that way. He's like, definitely he looks... supposed to come across a bit rapey in Scream 5. He looks 5. horrendous in uh, But yeah, him and, him and this, like, d- teenage me would have been like, yes. Do you know what? Now that I'm saying it, we talk about Johnny Simmons. Johnny Simmons is going on the Dylan Manette list. <laughs> Young Neil. Young Neil. Uh, do you have final thoughts? Yeah. So I... Love this movie. I know you do. This movie fucking rules. Um, yeah, I would strongly urge if you guys have not seen Jennifer's Body in a while, or if you have never seen it, go the fuck back and watch it, or watch it for the first time. Um, I am straight up giving this movie a five. I think this movie signalled like that Karen Kusama was going to be an absolute legend, and I love that woman to pieces. Um, and I just think for everything that this movie does right 
it hits every nail on the head um, and I can forgive the things that it maybe does wrong because of that and this movie has held up incredibly well um what about yourself see i like the messaging of this movie i think they handle some of the issues really well it's a super interesting film it's really well made but i don't know what it is it might be me it it just could be that it's just my brain doesn't get it mm-hmm. as a film um like i could sing its praises from the fucking rooftops but i can't tell you i like this movie yeah so i'm gonna i'm gonna give it a three but I can't tell you why. I just don't... Like, legitimately, it has everything in a movie that I would enjoy that would make me love a film, but I just do not like this film. Yeah. And I can't tell you why. What score are you giving it? Three. Three. That's not That's not terrible. No. Because I'm like... I, I, I think it's right. If I could explain why I don't like it, I'd probably give it a much lower score. But I physically cannot explain to you why I so don't this like movie this movie. this movie does not give you away. Oh, Jesus. You're just super salty. Uh, I can't. I fucking can't, man. <laughs> so, thus concludes our thoughts on the cinematic masterpiece that is Jennifer's Body. Also, why the fuck do they not play the whole song in this movie? But yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's our thoughts on Jennifer's Body. Thus concludes our horror comedies month for the month of June. Um, thank you once again for everybody that's listened, everybody that's, you know, shared enjoyed our new episodes um also thanks to everyone that supported our episode on the black phone which was released uh last week um if you guys haven't checked that out yet um it's up on our main feed uh, it is a spoiler and non-spoiler review um all of the information that you need is in the timestamp. um but yeah have you guys seen the black phone yet if you did uh, let us know in the comments uh, like what you thought of it um we are kicking off uh july um on friday uh, July is my month, uh, so all the movies in July were picked by myself um, because my birthday is in July. So we will be kicking off July's content on Friday with our 5 by 5 top five horror scenarios we would not want to find ourselves in. So that will be dropping this Friday, the 1st of July. And then next Monday, we will be kicking off... Um, our films for July properly with a look at James Wan's 2021 horror film Malignant. So that is going to be an absolute doozy of an episode. Um, And then obviously in the rest of the month, we're going to be looking at uh, Your Next, which will be the movie on the 11th of July. Our crossing the stream for this month is going to be Superhost. Then we'll be looking at Freaky on the 18th. And James Wan closes the month out when we take a look at The Conjuring um so yeah all of the information uh for the july lineup and the august lineup are all on our social media because you can see what we're going to be doing in august as well um once again thank you for both of us um we really appreciate everybody that sticks with us all of our new followers all of our old followers uh, everybody that shares retweets likes comments on any of our work um as always stay spooky stay safe guys take care of yourselves and we'll see you in the next one take care bye